It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. From our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, we welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines, our Monday bonus podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the baseball fan, John Riley. <laughs> we welcome you to all things sports. We have a ton of topics on the table that we're going to get to. Uh, Podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, San Diego. Nine locations to serve you. Been in business for more than 100 years. You got projects. These are the people that you should do business with. And by North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. Comprehensive eye care, state-of-the-art technology, from basic eye care to special eye care. That's who they are. North County Eye Center, Poway, Escondido. John Riley, good afternoon. We're going a lot of different directions, but before we hit the floor running, introduce to everybody that joins us early on our live stream the thing that we kind of stumbled on that has really become kind of a key component to what we're doing. We call it the Fans Forum. Yeah, Fans Forum, your chance to get involved. If you've got a question or comment on anything in the world of sports, got a hot take for Lee, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton to consider, drop your, your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll get you involved. In fans forum. And a reminder, we're about 15 months into this project and are trying to expand and do some other unique things as 2024 rolls on. We've started something called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. John, how do our live stream viewers register to join our club? Yeah, join the club. Be part of the team. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. In the upper right corner, there's an orange box. Just sign up. Put your email there. We're sending out the best 15 minutes of sports nearly every day. Plus, we've got a lot of great things planned for the new year. And if you like sports, check my website. It's all written. It's there the first thing every morning for you. Best 15 minutes in sports, Hacksaw's headlines, one man's opinion column, as well as Hacksaw's popular mini polls, agree or disagree. That's on the website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It's all written. It's there every morning. Spring training games are about to begin. That's kind of cool. That's kind of exciting. Coming off the football season, we take a deep breath. Here comes the Cactus League. Here comes the Grapefruit Circuit. So that will be topic on the table one. Yeah, so let's talk Padres. I mean, I, we saw that the owner, the new owner, and the, the president spoke to the media. We're talking about Eric Kutsunda on the right-hand side. He was a key associate of the late Peter Seidler. We're talking about Eric Gruppner on the left. He, of course, is the president of the business side, they talked. They talked money. They talked about the season. They talked about their philosophy. They talked about their general manager. First things out of Eric Kutsenda's mouth, vote of confidence, A.J. Preller. He is our general manager. He is a pro. He might be the best scout in all of Major League Baseball, but he said everybody is held accountable and we do expect results. Uh, questions about the roster that has been assembled and what's transpired in the offseason, John. He says the roster's been assembled. The payroll is part of the roster. 
we now have a view of what we can afford. He said we sold 24,200 season tickets for this year. They hope to crash 33.3 million fans, which would be an unbelievable number after they set the record last year at 3.23 million. Uh, Eric Kutsunda said the roster is in progress. Free agency has been slow. The roster we have right now might not be the roster we're going to have opening day five weeks from now. He denied emphatically the loss of the $60 million TV contract and the fact they have to write a check for $40 million to baseball because of the luxury tax that they owe. He denied that had anything to do with the makeup of the roster. Hmm. I don't agree <laughs> no. with any of that. Meanwhile, Eric Gruppner, he says what I say. And these, these people have worked really hard at this to make Petco Park an experience to bring the family. Says the fans believe in the product we've presented. That's why we are where we are right now in terms of season ticket sales. He kind of alluded to three good years. I'm not sure that I buy three good years because 2023 they underachieved. 2022 they struggled and gave us three months of good baseball. 2021 it was horrible. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure I buy Gruppner sales pitch three good years of baseball. Since the fan support has allowed us to put this product on the field, but he didn't want to talk about the fact they raised their ticket prices 38% over the last three years. And if I was there, I would have asked the question, how long do you think you're going to draw these fans if the product's not great? And if you keep raising ticket prices, have you kind of tapped this out? He did say Major League Baseball, the commissioner's office, their, quote, TV division, will finalize the deals to how to distribute Padre Baseball by opening day. Hmm. There will be no TV of Padre Baseball as we've known in the past on Ballet Sports. It'll only be on Padres TV, which will be free for spring training. Then everybody gets charged with the start of opening day. But they say they expect the Padre games, once opening season starts in April, will all be pretty much at the same locations they were before. So that would be Cox, that would be Spectrum, that would be a spinoff on DirecTV. Uh, so that's that's where we are there. So I, I buy most of what Kutsenda said. I only buy about half of what Eric Gruppner said. Um, and I just don't think right now there's the energy, there's the excitement in Padre Baseball that we had a year ago from today when people couldn't wait for the start of the season. I think right now people are looking at the roster and saying, not the same team, not by any stretch of the imagination, and there's a lot of question marks. So your reaction to the CEO, your reaction to the president of the team? Oh, I love hearing him talk. You know, he could send us still something of a mystery here. Yes. I mean, what strikes you about this guy? What's his character like? Do you think he's going to be a, a tough guy managing the money or is he going to be really generous like Seidler was? This is your budget, A.J. Preller. This is mm-hmm. what you have to spend. We're not going beyond that. We're not going over the luxury tax. So, in essence, this is a clean piece of paper that the CEO has given that general manager. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that they don't want to attach the decrease in payroll by almost $101 million, they don't want to attach the loss of the TV money and the luxury tax check they had to write. 
That's not being honest. You need to be honest, I think. Is it a good team? It's got uh, most all their star players, everyday position players, not the same pitching staff by any stretch of the imagination. I, you know, and Gruppner's trying to sales pitch us that this is great. This is going to be good. I'm sorry, it's not. And you can't sales pitch me. It's been three years of great baseball in San Diego. Outside of, of 2022, when they made the push and then they ambushed the Dodgers, there's been nothing exciting that's happened as it relates to ownership, as it relates to their general manager. Wait, wait a now, minute. Now, you can wait, agree no, or disagree with no. me. Go ahead. They, they, nothing exciting has happened. They've signed Machado. They got Tatis. They, I mean, you can question the Bogart deal, but the team was making an effort to, to bring talent in here. Did that, it work? Well, not really. Where'd you finish in the standings? We're, but it's still exciting for the fans. You were screeching about it at the end of the season. Yeah, it was disappointing. I agree with you. But as a fan, this is way the hell better than the Chris Denorfia days. You know, that we've got a competitive team. And I'm of the opinion that the fans, you know, we may not have record sellouts like last year, but I there's a, there's a waiting list for t- season tickets, right? So, so they say. So they say. They so don't make the playoffs this year. What are you going to say? a year from today. Well, it's just the same old Padres. I guess that's all I can say. <laughs> but, you know, the Padres, like we talked about a long time ago, where Seidler recognized that they're kind of the only game in town. So they're still going to draw well. They're still, there's still excitement. You know, in fact, I think there might be a little bit of... Um, what do they call it? Addition by subtraction excitement. Because even though Soto was this great talent, people weren't really confident that he, let's say made the Padres a better team. We didn't necessarily win with Soto. So I think the fans are looking forward to seeing this blend of some of these veterans and some of the young kids. Opportunities. That that word was used three times in the first sentence from A.J. Preller last week when he spoke to us in the media. Yeah, Opportunities. It is. So, I mean, he's got all these kid pitchers that they got from the Yankees who are going to have the opportunity to show if they can do it. And obviously he's got some of the lower minor leaguers who are going to get a chance to play in spring training to see if any of them are qualified. But I just don't think it's the same team as a year ago. There is no Soto. And obviously you've lost starters three, four, and five in your rotation, and you're replacing them with guys from Yankee Stadium who are in the bullpen who the Yankees didn't want to retain. And I don't think the Padres got the right pitchers or the right players in the Soto deal with the Yankees. But you could argue with me. I have no problem. But but we agreed that it didn't work, right? The formula didn't work last year or in the previous years. I, I believe wholeheartedly they're going to be better than two games over 500, which is what they were last year. And it took a, they had to win 14 of 16 against the garbage on the schedule at the end of the season. But they to got get it two done. Games over 500. Yeah. Did, were they playing in October? They were not playing in October. Okay. They were disappointing, but they're going to be better this year. I guarantee it. Padre fans, fans forum chat box is open now. Are you siding with me or are you siding with a guy co-hosting out in left field? You can argue with me, John Riley, but I'm a talk show host, so don't argue with me. Okay. Okay. You're a Padre fan. Fans forum chat box is open. Pile in here. Take my side. Take his side. They're already piling in. And you'll be out in left field when it starts to rain this afternoon. Okay. We go from that to a really bad story. This is Dateline. Anaheim Angel Stadium. Yeah, it looks like the fans are really upset here with uh, Artie Moreno. Here's the background. Artie Moreno's owned the team. He was contemplating selling the team. He's invested enormous money in the team. He's wasted a lot of money on that team. And then he took the team off the sale block. He's going to continue to own it. 
The Athletic, the sports website, ran a survey of 2,000 Angels fans, most of them based in Orange County, some in Los Angeles. 95% of the people in the poll said they want Artie Moreno to sell the team. Said nine straight non-playoff seasons, nine straight losing seasons. 85% in the poll blamed the owner for his impulsiveness in signing people, burning through money on guys like the drug trouble Josh Hamilton, the aging Alex Buholtz, the failure that was Justin Upton, and the latest, the always injured Anthony Rendon. 77% of the people so they have no confidence in the organization. That means the general manager, Perry Manazian, who has signed 13 fringe players to one-year deals. 70% say the Padres have had an awful offseason. I'm not Padres. The Angels have had an awful offseason. They never replaced Otani. They had all that money from Otani's contract, and they still have the money in their pocket. The payroll is $50 million below what it was last year. And last year, they were right around the luxury tax threshold. So there's a lot of negativity. 66% believe in the new manager, Ron Washington, but they don't have any confidence in the roster that Ron Washington uh, has to manage. On top of all that, two stories breaking this morning at a Tempe at Diablo Stadium, the Angels Spring Training Camp. Mike Trout says he met face-to-face with Artie Moreno and John Carpino, the president, and implored them to spend the money from the Otani contract right now and either sign Blake Snell or sign Cody Bellinger. Mike Trout told him, you need to send a signal to the fans in Orange County in 714 area code Mm. that you're committed to win. So Trout lectured the owner how to do business. Good. And if that's not enough, hold on to the table, would you, John? (laughs) Okay. Anthony Rendon, oft-injured third baseman, making $245 million package. He told a reporter from The Athletic this morning, baseball is not the top priority in my life. Really? And he's making all this money. He's hardly played at all. He can't stay on the field. He says his family... And his faith are more important than playing baseball, hard baseball, winning baseball for the Angels. Now, he did deflect some of the criticism that was going to come back at him in the follow-up questions, where he said, fans don't know me. Fans don't know the pain I've endured, all the surgeries that I've had to try to get on the field. So, fans, you can't judge me. But Rendon, why would he even say this, that baseball is not a priority? (laughs) Right. That's going to trail him all season long at home, for sure, and probably on the road, if Dew doesn't hit back to what he was with the Washington Nationals when he was a really good third baseman. So the only thing I can say about the atmosphere surrounding Angel baseball right now, look outside the window, it looks like the apocalypse. This is <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it is. And so we'll see if Trout and his sales pitch, his mandate to Artie Moreno makes any difference at all. But why Rendon would have that come out of his mouth, I just, I can't conceive why he would do that. 
John Riley, your response? Yeah, that's in- insane. I mean, because as a major league player, really as a human being, you need to take pride in the work that you do. You know, your career is is your life's work. You know, so why would you? Even even if you thought that, that baseball wasn't the number one priority, because maybe you say, OK, family is number one. I get that. But you would never say that out loud in the press, especially to your fans who are already upset, already frustrated. They lost Otani. Artie Moreno's a disaster. I mean, this guy is nuts. Does he still want to cut the season back to like 130 games? I mean, he was talking about that before. Yeah, he, he'd like to see it reduced. And I'm, I'm kind of in favor of it. I think baseball's too big of a grind. I think 162 can easily be reduced to what it used to be, 154, which would give players more time to get healthy and respond. Mm-hmm. If you gave everybody every Monday off, that would be huge. But mm-hmm. we're not talking about rules and regs in the <laughs> union and ownership and scheduling and profits and loss statements. We're talking about angel baseball. This but Trout was right. Good for him for going to Moreno and talking. Do you think he's going to have any influence? I think Artie Moreno will say, oh, well, Mike Trout said we need to get somebody, so let's go sign Blake Snell. Well, you got marquee names. You got Snell, you got Montgomery, and you got Bellinger. And they are $50 million below what they spent last year. And last year, they spent right up to the bumper of the luxury tax. And then they dumped a bunch of guys and got below it. But they've not spent the money that they had from Otani. What kind of product are you going to put on the field? I mean, the fans in Orange County are already in hate mode, and the season has not even started. You know, the only positive came out, Mike Trout confirmed that he told Artie Moreno, I don't want to be traded. I want to play my whole career here. Don't trade me. But these guys are out there. Go get one of these guys. You need to send a message. So fascinating to see where that goes. Hey, Angel fans, we got we got baseball fans. I don't care if you're a Padre fan, Dodger fan, Angel fan, MLB fan. Jump into fans forum. Give us your response on the atmosphere surrounding Angel Baseball. We go from that spring training notebook, John. Okay, yeah, we just talked about Soto. Has there been some updates on Snell and Soto? Yeah, let me give you the latest as of about noon on Monday. Uh, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, the higher-ups of the New York Yankees, indicated there'll be no contract talks with Soto during the season. Soto doesn't want to have contract talks. Neither does the agent. Scott Boris. (laughs) Um, They're going to take him. He's going to free agency for sure. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be re-signed by the Yankees, but we all know where this is going to all wind up. Scott Boris wants the left fielder to become the highest average paid baseball player in, in the world, which is probably 40 to $45 million. I think it'll be fascinating to see how Soto hits at Yankee Stadium. Soto said uh, this weekend he's not going to redefine his game to try to reach the short right field porch. Mm-hmm. You know, he does have tremendous power to left center, but left center is a long freaking way away. So that'll be interesting statistically how he does uh, at, at Yankee Stadium. Of course, he's now he's going back uh, to the American League. Uh, but but Soto has talked extensively about where he'd like to hit in the batting order. You know, because they're trying to Aaron Boone is is trying to juggle Soto, Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, oh, there's yeah. a three monster bat, huge. But Stanton has had nothing but injuries four years in a row. Soto is new, and Judge has bounced back. And so it's going to be fascinating to see who hits two, three, and four in the Yankee batting order. But Soto is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. We have to expect that. And by the way, New York is different than playing in San Diego. 
New York is different than playing for the Washington Nationals. Just a bit. If dude is hitting two twenty one and screwing around like he did the first two to three months of last season, having mm-hmm. no success, oh, his life is going to be hard. Because <laughs> the media and the fans and talk show radio in New York in the Big Apple is really different. So that's the latest on Soto. Here's the latest on Blake Snell. The Yankees, about two weeks ago, offered him, we talked about this briefly, six years, 150. Uh, it's not the 30 million per year that Snell hyphen Boris asked for. Um, there were no opt outs. It would give him state of the art money immediately. And it would it'd be for six years, which I tend to think is a pretty good contract. He rejected it. Over the weekend, the Yankees reportedly offered him three years at 105, hmm. which pushes him a shade above $30 million per year. No opt-outs. If you're going to sign a three-year contract and we're going to pay you the state-of-the-art money, you got to be here all three years. Hmm. They haven't responded to that. The, the rumblings out of Tampa, where the Yankee Spring training camp is, is that Boris and Snell might take a short-term contract at mega money, short-term, and go back into free agency within two years. Now, the gamble is, what if Snell reverts back to what Snell was for a large chunk of his San Diego Padre stay, mm-hmm. which was really erratic? I mean, a Blake Snell we saw last season from May 1st on was spectacular, but he's not been able to bottle that and use it on a year-by-year basis. So there's a, there's a gamble if he takes a two- or three-year deal, tries to jump back in. What if he has Blake Snell's San Diego-type seasons and his, his marketability goes down? You know, they want the bigger money, but nobody's going to pay him seven-year contracts. So that's the latest there. Bryce Harper meeting with the Phillies has indicated, A, he wants to finish his career there. You want to restructure my contract to give you a little more breathing room to go get more players on this really good team? Let me know. And he said he would agree to move to first base. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting there. Oakland A's situation. Guess who was where over the weekend? Ownership back in Sacramento. Oh. They're now talking specifically about in 25, 26, 27, moving the team and just playing all their games in the AAA stadium in Sacramento. There's a rationale behind it because they had they had looked at a whole bunch of other things. Last week, there was a lot of conversation that, well, maybe we'll split. We'll play half the schedule in Vegas, the other half in Reno, which makes a lot of sense to me, even though the weather's brutally hot. It makes a lot of sense because then you're marketing athletics baseball in the Silver State yeah. for the next three years. But they found out that if they leave Northern California, their TV contract becomes null and void. They're making $70 million per year uh, on their current TV wow. contract. If they vacate the Bay Area, and Sacramento, I guess, is part of that Bay Area thing, mm-hmm. $70 million goes away. And if you're playing games in Vegas and Reno, I don't think anybody's going to pay them $70 million. No. For that. So th- that's why all of a sudden the Sacramento thing has kind of come front and center. I guess what shocks me the most about the A's crisis is the commissioner is not front and center leading the drive to help them find something. Should not baseball be using its influence, its contacts, its legal people to help them sort this thing out so they can get to Vegas? Uh, Baseball's just been hands-off. This is a whole John Fisher thing, so weird. 
But it might be they're going to be in Sacramento because they don't want to vacate the TV contract. So, John, go ahead. You got Soto, you got Snell, you got Harper, you got the A's. Yeah, so going to the A's. Aren't they already worried about the, the, the move to, to Vegas? Didn't the Vegas mayor say, oh, maybe you shouldn't come here? Do you think that's why Rob Manfred is not taking a forward position in this negotiation? Shouldn't he take a forward position and get the franchise to Vegas to try to make the franchise better? You think he would. But he's been absent. Yeah, from so, these conversations, and so, I don't understand it, unless they don't want to get sued. There's got to be some agenda going on here that I'm unaware of. Um, you, you know, and, and also if they if the A's went to Sacramento, there's already a Triple A team there now, and like I don't know how that's going to work. But to, to talk about the other guys, um, Snell, he may have to like take this deal because he's. I mean, where else could he go? I mean, who else is in the mix for him other than the Yankees? I mean, no, the Angels and Giants, but I don't see at this point. Unless Artie Marino does a U-turn after getting lectured by Mike Trout. Uh, you know, where else is he going to go? San Francisco's already spent a chunk of money in free agency. And we always spin back then. You're going to give this guy seven years? This guy is as great as he was last year, so much fun to watch, has been so erratic. And you're going to pay him $30 million a year to pitch five innings per start? Oh, he's doing more than five. Years. Not very much. Well, not now he gets to six or seven. So I doubt. But... Like in this particular case, Moreno, Artie Moreno has an opportunity to sign him and solve this for him and for Blake Snell. Sure. So Blake Snell now has the number from the Yankees. He's got a value offering from them. Now I think he can take that number, go to Moreno and say, hey, you want to beat it or match it? And then maybe I'll come play for you. Okay. We'll see where that goes. And I'm surprised that just the whole number of quality free agents that are still out there. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it's it's not just Snell. It's obviously Montgomery, the Texas Ranger left-hander. It's Cody Bellinger and J.D. Martinez. Uh, as of, uh, I want to say as of Sunday, there's 112 unsigned veteran free agents. Now, a you know, whole pile of those guys are coming off injuries. You know, some of those guys are coming from Japan, a.k.a. Trevor Bauer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you've got just utility guys are designated. To, but 112 players are still unsigned, and the games start on Thursday. Well, do you think a lot of the financial guys in, in these major league front offices are playing that game of chicken? They're yeah. waiting for it to get closer and closer to the start of the season, and then they can probably get a better deal on a J.D. Martinez or a Matt Chapman. You would think so, but... Clock is ticking. We shall see. Okay, we go from all things baseball. And if you got an opinion on the names we just mentioned and hot headlines, uh, feel free to join us in Fans Forum right at the end of our podcast. Let's go NFL football. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about the shooting in Kansas City. And, Lee, I like the fact that you're covering this not just from a sports angle, but from a general news angle as well. Yeah, did we get a few responses about my commentary about guns? Oh, my God. I mean, people, you know, you know how the devices. <laughs> The topics are the people are for you for against you especially with guns uh this is the latest the police are still holding the two we believe 15 year olds in custody they've been had a number of charges already filed uh the uh, prosecuting attorney has gone to the courts they want these two teenagers tried as adults because they want to charge them with first degree felony murder and 29 counts of felony assault. Uh, it, the response has just been outpouring towards the victims, the families of the victims. The chiefs have created a GoFundMe account to raise money for the victims' families. 
Uh, Taylor Swift, of course, donated $100,000 immediately for the family of the women, uh, the woman who was killed. Uh, we, we still have not heard the end. Uh, and maybe this story is going to break in the next 24 to 48 hours about can they be tried as adults because of what they did. I mean, I don't know many 15-year-olds walking around with AR-15s, but that's that's what they found. Um, and will it be first-degree murder charges, and then, then this case will move on. So we've got to wait for the prosecuting attorney to come to a definition as to what these kids did, the rationale behind it, and how should they be tried in court. John? <laughs> so the— they need to come down hard on these these kids, and it's it sucks. I mean, do we want to try them as adults or not? That's always tricky, right? I mean, they're only fifteen years old, but they definitely need to be held accountable for what they did, especially if there are eyewitnesses and everything else that's there. You know, the the whole topic of guns is just so complicated. There's so many dimensions to the problem. You know, how do you punish the ones that? You know, cause the problem. Um, does do gun, does gun control work? Does that solve a problem? Do we people get guns illegally, even if there is gun control? I mean, we can go on debating all these issues. Kansas City officials need to take this very seriously and punish those that cause this problem. But more than that, it's more than just the law. I think as society, we're, we have to kind of address the gun problem. Because it's not just a legal matter; it's a cultural matter. Should not be a political matter. Well, it ha- well, but but pol- politicians are the ones that make the rules. But in the end, we can address the people that shot in Kansas City. We can look at every individual mass shooting and was this legal? Did they get the guns legally? Is this mental health? But in the end, we have to have a a, re- a conversation about. What is the rightful place of guns in our society? And is America different now in 2024 than we were in the Wild West times, than we were at the American Revolutionary times? And then what's the right way to integrate guns in society? Country is on fire and politically nothing gets accomplished in Washington, D.C. Nothing. No. Yeah, you're right. Be it be it guns, be it the border. Everything has to be politicized at the cost of innocent victims. But the, that's the way the politicians want it because now – Well, that's the way one party wants it. Well, yeah, but there's there's division on all of these issues. It's a divide and conquer mentality where if, if they can have these unsolved issues, then they have things to campaign on. They have things to fundraise on, whether it's guns or border or war on terror. They like the divisiveness because then it creates a – us against them, Yankees, Red Sox, rivalries, you know, amongst these two different teams in politics. And then we as citizens, we don't get the solutions that we believe we deserve. It's awful. It I'm is sorry. Awful. Our country is awful. Our world is on fire at the same time. You don't want me to do another thing on guns. No. <laughs> Bring it on, baby. Come on. <laughs> okay, we go from that NFL story, college football story. We knew this was coming. It is now done. Yeah, so the Pac-12 commissioners finally stepped down. I mean, is there a Pac-12 left? Door is open. Shut it behind you. George Klievkoff has been fired as the Pac-12 commissioner after five really unstable years. They've bought him out. His failure follows the failure of the prior commissioner, Larry Scott, who got the conference in trouble with creating the so-called Pac-12 network. At the end of the day, George Klievkoff failed to come up with a TV deal 
that would match all the other great conferences around the country. And then because he did not get the deal, he was left out on the street corner with his hands out. Please help me. Amazon came forward and offered him only $20 million per team per year. Well, the SEC is getting $51 million per team. The Big Ten, the Big 12 are getting $40 million per year in their new TV contracts. And then Kliakoff had no knowledge that USC and UCLA were negotiating in the middle of the night to go to the Big Ten. And then when he failed to come to the table with legitimate TV offers, eight other schools vacated, the Oregons and the Washingtons, and guys went to the Big Ten, to the Big 12, and the absurd Bay Area situation, they went to the Atlantic Coast Conference. He also failed early on to pursue Oklahoma and Texas when there there were rumors, undercurrent stories. Oklahoma and Texas were going to opt out of the Big 12. He should have been at the front door with a sales pitch to lure them to the Pac-12 and make it the mega conference. He didn't do it. And where do those guys wind up going? Hmm. SEC. Right. So all this stuff just piled up. And for all the sales pitch and all the bluster of who he was and what he was going to accomplish, he failed miserably. And now we're down to a pack two. I'm not sure who the leader's going to be because they've left behind under Kliakoff's era of error. They have left behind a whole bunch of lawsuits that have to be solved. There's a whole bunch of litigation the Pac-12 still has on its table. They had brought in former NFL quarterback and athletic director Oliver Luck to be a consultant. Maybe he becomes the point man for at least the next two years when all of this is Washington State and Oregon State. And maybe he will work through all this litigation that they've got. They're getting sued by a ton of different people. Uh, And then... Maybe they set the stage for what's going to happen after the 2025 season when I think they're going to make the middle of the night raid here to get San Diego State, Boise State, Colorado State, take maybe six of the Mountain West schools and bring them uh, to the Pac-2. So it'll be fascinating going forward. Luck might be the heir apparent on a short-term rental as a consultant to help guide. The guy's a smart, bright guy and he's got just volumes of experience in business as well as college athletics so maybe he is the rental to replace Kliakoff. what a disaster what you know what the Pac-12 presidents did hiring Larry Scott who screwed this up royally and then following up with the hiring of this guy who accomplished absolutely nothing and has left us with a two-team conference John I can't even believe he's still employed by the Pac-12. I mean, well, he, he had a contract. Okay. It's so time to buy out the contract. Okay. Well, I, I just figured he would have been dismissed after this whole calamity of problems. I mean, d- d- does the Pac-12 still officially exist? Yes. Right? It, it officially exists until the end of the spring sports season. I think it goes, it'll be the Pac-12 as we know it till August 1st. Of 2024. Yes. Okay. So not much time left. So Oliver Luck, then, if he came in and he was the commissioner, would it be the Pac-12, the Pac-2? I mean, Pac-2. He's not going to be the commissioner. He's going to be the consultant, if he is the guy. Okay. But he's got this world of experience, having been an athletic director other places. So, But the whole house is on fire. I mean, what do you do? Can you reclaim any of this? Well, you can't reclaim the schools that left. What you do is... We have Washington State. We have Oregon State. We have the amount of assets that we're inheriting. You're going to distribute money to the schools that are leaving. That'll be taken care of. You got to solve. I think there's five major lawsuits in litigation. Mm -hmm. You got to solve that. 
And so they got two years to work through who they are with with the game plan to be put in place. How do we get other schools in? And those other schools are obviously the Aztecs and Boise and Fresno and and the cream of the crop uh, from the Mountain West Conference. And they've already got an agreement in place as to how they can make this work or what would happen if a few wanted out, et cetera. So it's a very, very complicated puzzle. Hey, you got a question about the Pac-12? Your th- calls, your comments, your thoughts invited. Uh, join us on Fans Forum. We get to halftime. Our podcast is brought to you by the good people at North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. From cataracts to glaucoma to cornea surgeries, extensive screening programs for people of all ages, vision tests, treatment of dry eye syndrome. You're going to have issues with your eyes somewhere down road. I did. I wound up at North County Eye Center, and I was really impressed. These are the people you should consider because we're all going to need vision help, thanks to North County Eye Center. And our podcast also brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Centers, nine stores in San Diego to serve you. John, we all like to do projects around the home. What's your experience with Dixie Line? I mean, terrific people there. They've been in San Diego for over 100 years. They've got designers that help you remodel a bathroom, a kitchen. Um, Maybe you want to redo your deck in the backyard or you want to replace doors and windows. Just great guys. A lot of excellent service they provide. We like to use the phrase, build it or fix it. You will enjoy it in 2024 with these people, Dixie Line Lumber. The only word that comes to mind when I think of Dixie Line, (laughs) craftsman. Oh, big time, yeah. That's who they are. Yes, they are. Thanks again to Dixieline Lumber and North County Eye Center for being part of our team here. Before we jump into the second half with more topics on the table, geez, look at these people lined up. They're going to join us in John's (laughs) segment. John, it's Fans Forum. Just explain to everybody in our live stream how fans can get involved. Yeah, you got a chance to get involved. It's already loading up, and you should see all the names on the list. If you've got a question or comment for Hacksaw on anything in the world of sports, type it in in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. We'll get you involved in Fans Forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And a reminder, we're doing a lot of unique things in 2024. We've been doing this podcast for about 15 months. Thing has just exploded. We want you to join our team. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. If you go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com, there's a big orange box right on the front page. Just fill that out so you'll get the direct emails and all the other data that we're making available to our insiders group. And then you'll get notified as we have special things coming up. And if you like sports, check my website out every morning. It's all written. You will really enjoy it. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. By the way, we ask you to subscribe so you'll get all the alerts when we put stuff up on our YouTube channel. And share. Tell your friends who we are and what we're doing whether you agree or disagree with what we say does not matter (laughs) give us a thumbs up give us five stars we'll take the rating along the way john you ready for the second half i am you know and as an aztec (laughs) fan man i was excited about this game against new mexico aztecs roared from behind to beat nevada aztecs buried new mexico san diego state is 20 and 6 play at utah state which is 21-5 and five on Tuesday night. This will be for first place in the Mountain West regular season. Do you remember the old Detroit Pistons? Oh, yeah. Billy Lambeer, Rick uh, Mahorn, yeah. Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. Bad boys. Bad boys. Bad boys. What you going to do? 
San Diego State. There you Look go. Look at their bigs. Oh, Look yeah. at what they've become in just the last three weeks. All of a sudden, it's just not Jaden Ladee. It's Jay Powell. And mm-hmm. it's Elijah Saunders. And it's Heidi. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they've got all these young bigs that have suddenly come off the bench. It's like a light switch has been turned on. All of a sudden, they realize who they are and how they can play, and they're taking over games. And the other thing is they got now they've realized they got fouls to use. So you bring Miles Bird and all these guys off the bench, they'll pile up some fouls. That's okay. They got fouls to give. Mm-hmm. It changes the whole flow of the game. And while you're at it, they get the Wolfpack's big men and the Lobo's big men in foul trouble. And the minute they're gone, game over. Bad boys. Bad boys. Yeah, you sure? Was it Nevada or was it Colorado State? Because they lost at Nevada. They got killed in every road game. Yeah. But, you know, I'll tell you what. They they look so much better. And to your point, Miles Heidi is just a guy to watch, right? Because he's like, what, maybe the eighth or ninth guy off the bench. But, boy, he comes in, and he's really playing tough guy. And you know, the kid barely shaves, but he's out there doing the yeoman's work. I love seeing it. The Aztecs are finally playing up to their capability. Remember, in the beginning, it was so Jekyll and Hyde. So Tuesday um, at Utah State, that's a tough place to win. Aggies are 15-1 and one at home. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good basketball team. And they've got their own big, big guy uh, that you're going to have to deal with in Escobar. Uh, at six eight, who's averaging? I think it's sixteen points and eight rebounds per game. Yeah, so he's there. They got three guards that light it up, and they're crazy in Logan, Utah. Those fans are as nutso as the show down here. So if the Aztecs can make a statement and win this game on the road, they're going to have all the momentum going towards the Mountain West Conference tournament in just a couple of weeks. Bad boys, boy. It's so much fun to watch them right now compared to where they were three weeks ago. And that's the shocker. It's like a light switch got turned on. All of a sudden, they're playing with such confidence, such physicality, and obviously such belief in what they can do and contribute. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, if if um, if Ladee gets into foul trouble again, remember like the last game he was out for most of the first mm-hmm. half. If that happens again, it's trouble. I mean, because that offense does not work nearly as well when he's sitting on the bench. Concur. They're going to need their guards to step up and hit shots. But in terms of defense and rebounding and doing all that stuff in and around the paint and on the glass, bad boys, those four kids off the bench, (laughs) difference makers right now. For sure. Okay, we go from that. Let's talk NBA basketball. Okay, got some headlines here. Yeah, the All-Star Weekend. What did you think of it, Lee? It was awful. An (laughs) awful game. The East beat the West 2-11 to 186, all-time record. <laughs> not not a shred of defense. And the response, the fallout from the NBA All-Star game has been pretty harsh. That the NBA has to figure out what the game should be about and will these guys commit to play the game of basketball rather than make it French pastry and three-point shots and nobody cares? Because right. that's what it turned out to be. Yes. East hit 42, 42 three-point baskets in the All-Star game last night. But it wasn't competitive. It was just... You know, show and glow. Um, I, I, I was disappointed. They are, they are taking so much heat around the NBA right now, not, not, not even 12 hours after the game, as to you guys need to fix this. And Adam Silver is a little bit upset along the way, too. You know, the NBA, I mean, it's amazing. The N- NBA right now, they got so many great athletes, 
But what is the commitment aside from do I get paid on the 1st and the 15th of every month? Because the quality of the game, I think, is dissipated. Now, when you get to postseason play, it's a whole different venue. Names in the news. Highlight of the weekend was Steph Curry versus Sabrina Onescu, the WNBA star. Cool part of the story. When they first came up with the idea, let's have this this three-point shooting contest, I said, that's kind of neat. And Steph was going to shoot at the three-point line in the NBA. Sabrina was going to shoot at the three-point line, which is inside, Mm -hmm. for the WNBA. She said, no, I'm going to shoot where Steph Curry shoots. Cool. He beat her 29-26 Ah. in three-point shots. It It was a really cool thing. The only negative... So so the TV analysts are there, and they're going to analyze all this. The negativity from Kenny Smith was absurd as to what kind of shots is she taking? She ought to be playing at the WNBA. He took all the joy out of what should have been, hey, this is novel. This is really cool. I can't wait to see who they come up with next year. Why would Kenny Smith do that? You're kind of degrading what the NBA has done with this this showcase storyline matchup. I He's getting banged by a bunch of people, too. Mm-hmm. He and Charles Barkley. Why'd you do this? Don't denigrate what the league is trying to do and create something. Speaking of women, basketball, Caitlin Clark, holy cow, at Iowa. She busts the all-time NCAA scoring record. She scored 49 the other night. And the basket that broke the record, she crossed midcourt, and she launched what I think was a 42-foot three-point shot. Awesome. She fired at John right from the midcourt logo. She crossed the Iowa Ladies Hawkeye logo, and she launched. It was amazing. She finished with 49 points. Next record for her, Pete Maravich's record. She's only 99 points less than Pete Maravich's all-time college scoring record at LSU. Now, the only, the only thing that's different, Pete Maravich did what he did at LSU. There was no three-point shot in that game. He did that. Yeah, that guy. Launching buckets and driving to the basket. Yeah. Whereas Caitlin Clark, brilliant player, three-point shots. Commissioner Adam Silver, he knows they're under siege just because of what's happened. He's indicated that the game is phenomenal athletically. Do you know the teams in the league right now are averaging 115 points a game, which is an all-time record? Mm-hmm. We had Joel Embiid scored 71 in one game. We've had a bunch of guys score 60 points in a game. Uh, a team score 156 in a regular season game. He says, though, he needs a commitment from players. They're going to play at both ends of the court because they, it's, to me, it's almost like a credibility blow to the league that nobody's playing any defense in the NBA. Uh, he's also indicated that uh, Las Vegas and Seattle are the prime markets when the league decides they want to expand. He's He's got a fight on his hands with the union. You know, the league imposed a rule last year that, John Riley, you have to play 65 games on the schedule uh, to be qualified for all these postseason awards. Mm-hmm. And these guys have bonus clauses based on are they on the NBA first team, are they in the second team. Well, if you play less than 65 games, you're not going to be eligible for the marquee awards at the end of the season. Union has now come back and said, well, if John Riley gets hurt and he misses 21 games because he had meniscus surgery, he should not have to answer for the 65-game rule. What the league is upset about is the coaches are resting these players in key critical games, second half of the season, big showdown games, games on network TV, and suddenly LeBron and Anthony Davis are sitting. 
or Kawhi and Paul George. So the league invoked the 65 rule. The union agreed, but all of a sudden the players are coming back to the union and say, if I, if I, I, I don't qualify because of the 65 rule, I lose clauses, my bonus clauses, my money contract. Now the union's trying to change that, and they're going to have to sit and talk uh, to Adam Silver about that. So go ahead. Stefan Sabrina, I've seen you shoot threes. I'm not going to talk about your ability to shoot <laughs> no. threes. I could shoot threes, but um, the, the, that whole controversy and then your comment on Caitlin Clark. Well, I, first of all, I love the, the three-point contest. You know, and, and that's the, what we could expect as, as NBA fans, as sports fans, seeing, you know, the, the ladies in there on the three-point shot. I mean, why not make the All-Star game itself a co-ed event and have men's and women's teams intermingled? Because as that's what we want as fans is we want to see something interesting. We we want to see the star players doing very interesting things, and that would be a case. But Nobody wants to get hurt though in an All Star game. But still, they could they could develop some unique plays, and they could probably set up the game to make the women the stars in those games. They could manipulate it in a way that would be good. But yeah, we've known for years that the All Star game plays no defense. It seems like that disease is creeping into the regular season. But in Major League Baseball, don't you have to have like a minimum number of plate appearances to be qualifying for the batting championship? Mm-hmm. So why not do the same thing in the NBA? Well, baseball is 162 games. That's different than an 82 game NBA schedule where the guys are sitting out now for 10 and 15 games. Right. For rest periods. Right. So they shouldn't be eligible for, you know, MVP or whatever it is if they only play half a season. Okay. What do you think about Caitlin Clark? Well, I love everything about her. Um, I I hope she has a a great career in the WNBA um, and she gets a ton of publicity as she should, as she should. So uh, let's see how this goes. Let's see if other women in the in college basketball like Angel Reese we know of her but I want to see more women stars emerge and Kenny Smith running his mouth oh that guy yeah that, that, that's, that's just that's that's ridiculous I think that's an opportunity to lift up the sport the sport the women and and to have that comparison it's almost like Billie Jean King and and uh, who was that other tennis player Bobby Riggs, Riggs. yeah so it's kind of like that but in a fun way this guy always liked French pastry. He's just. <laughs> okay, we go from that. We got some headlines here to talk about, too. Okay, yeah, names in the news here. It's like high speed sports wirely. Yeah, Lefty Drizel has passed away. Uh, legendary coach, uh, passed away at the age of 92 this past week in Maryland. He put Maryland Terrapin basketball on the floor. He's the one that recruited Lenny Bias. He built that program. Uh, also coached small college. He did an unbelievable job at Davidson, which is Steph Curry's alma mater. Coached at uh, Georgia State along the way. And a lot of people don't know this. Speaking of three-point shots, he was the father of the three-point shot. He's the one that proposed to college basketball, adopt the three-point basket. Cool. And it made a big difference. Uh, great personality. He was really something. Tiger Woods uh, plays the first round, is... Eight strokes back, starts the second round at the L.A. Open and pulls out after a group of holes. Uh, Everybody first feared knee, back. He had had back spasms at the end of the first round. They are saying that he had a terrible case of the flu for the second round on Friday. And he wound up going to the medical tent there at Riviera, spent two hours getting IV. So he was really sick as a dog at the end of the day, though. He was not competitive at all. And I said this last year, I I don't want to see him on the court dragging his leg, limping, 
and not being able to be competitive. That doesn't do anybody any good. So Tiger Woods is, is shut down again. This is a great story. Scott Pollard played at Torrey Pines. Oh, yeah. Played at Kansas. 10 to 11 years in the NBA. Won a championship ring. Played with the Cavs. Played with Boston. Bulk of his career at Sacramento. Uh, he has got a genetic problem with his heart. And Scott Pollard was hospitalized at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. And they were fearful he was going to die because they could not find a donor for his heart. Now, he's 6'11", 260 pounds, so they needed a heart transplant from somebody who was much bigger. Anyhow, the word got out at midweek. NBA kind of used its influence. They got him a heart. He had surgery Friday afternoon. It's an extensive surgical procedure. And he was in critical condition on Friday. Saturday, he was stable. By noon Saturday, I saw video of Scott Pollard getting out of bed and walking in the hospital. Now, he had all, uh, he was wired with all this intravenous stuff. Yeah. It was unbelievable to see him smile and to walk slowly with a heart that had just been put in 12 hours prior. Incredible. Modern medicine is just phenomenal. Now, the biggest biggest thing ahead is what's going to happen this week, and this becomes a big issue because there are, there's grave, great concern because this happens. The body rejects the heart that's been transplanted in. Mm. So we'll have to keep our fingers crossed. But what a great story. The NBA just came front and center and made all the medical contacts, and suddenly they got access to a, a donor from a cadaver who had just passed away, and that was was given to Scott Pollard. So great, awesome. great story. Really sad story. Chicago Bears legendary defensive tackle Steve McMichael. He's hospitalized. He has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. He just got voted into the NFL Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's in critical condition. He's got staph infections. He has a blood infection. He's been in all types of blood transfusions. They, you know, they hope they can get him home sometime this week. Uh, but he was so sick he couldn't go to the Super Bowl to be honored with all the other enshrinees, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think the saddest aspect, and we talk about Steve McMichael, great defensive tackle for the 85 Bears and you know, the William Perry team and the Mike Singletary team yeah. with Ditka and all that, as he gave his life to football, and football's taking his life back now, and that's really sad. One hockey note. This is amazing. The Toronto Maple Leafs stomped the Anaheim Ducks over the weekend in, in Toronto, 9-2. to Austin Matthews had three goals, two assists. That's five points. Austin Matthews has 48 goals in 52 games. This guy is tracking towards a 70-goal hockey season, and he's just he's really, really playing well. So pick a name there. What do you want to talk about, John? I want to talk about Lefty Dreisel because you said that he invented or or at least proposed the three-point shot yes. for the NBA. Walk me through the history of this because I know college had it before the pros. The ABA had it before the NBA. And did the Harlem Globetrotters have it at one point or what's the story there? I don't know that it was called the three-point shot. The Harlem Globetrotters were the Harlem Globetrotters. It, right. was, it was more French pastry than it was steak and <laughs> potatoes, basketball. But uh, Lefty uh, petitioned the NCAA and said, let's devise this. Let's think about this. The ABA had the three-point shot. ABA also had the colored basketballs. Right. And the ABA had the cheerleaders in bikinis. Uh, <laughs> ABA was interesting to watch. But he said, this works. This, this can help grow our game. And then they negotiated with the rules committee. 
Uh, I think Dean Smith was part of the conversation on the Rules Committee about how far out it should be. And then all of a sudden, it came. It arrived. And then it came to the NBA. And all of a sudden, you got all these three-point shooters. And at the end of the day, Lefty Drizel's name has to be linked with changing the game forever. Because the three-point shot is the great equalizer in college basketball. Oh, huge. I may not be able to compete with you when it's aircraft carriers and bigs on bigs, mm-hmm. but if I got three guys who can stroke from threes, I can sure stay in a lot of games. So the three-point shot has, has made the game even more dynamic than it was. Well, I think that's got to be one of the greatest innovations in any sport, yeah. right? When they change the rules to make the game better. I mean, because I can't think of... I mean, you have to go way back in time to like think of rules changes that dramatically improve the sport in in baseball or football. But this, I love the idea. I mean, I I wouldn't I would be open to like having more creativity. Like you, you see that in some other like the three on three games where they have like a special zone. If they shoot it from within that circle, it might be worth more. I, I say bring some more of that stuff. Okay, he likes French pastry as he always has. Hmm. All right, it is time for us to get ready for fans forum. You've been following us on live stream we remind you again you can participate by just jumping into the chat room pick any of the topics that we put on the table and and stand up and sound off our podcast is brought to you by dixie line lumber and home centers nine stores in san diego to serve you you got projects you need to talk to these professionals and by north county eye center poway and escondido we're all going to need help with our eyesight going forward these are the specialists you should contact North County Eye Center, Poway Escondido. John, ready, set, go. Okay, let's talk (laughs) Padres here with Jamie. And he he asks, you think Bogarts is upset due to the position shift with Kim? That's a good question, Jamie, but the answer is no, because they approached Bogarts during the course they were interviewing him after he opted out and became a free agent from the Red Sox. And I said, big picture, long term, there might be a position change. We have all these players coming. Would you be adverse to second base? He had played third base also in Boston. Uh, so when I, you know he could go anywhere. He said, I just want to win. And, of course, they gave him a mega contract. So, no, no problem whatsoever. And he put on a good face. He said, hey, if this makes us a better team, a better defense, then I'm all for it. And they do have Hassan Kim for at least one more year. And they got Cronenworth going back to first. And they believe Manny Machado, coming off the elbow surgery, will be ready to play third base opening day against the Dodgers in South Korea. So Bogart signed off on all this. Well, I saw him being interviewed about this, and you can tell it has still irked him a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're the shortstop, you're the dude. You know, you're the the most athletic guy on the field, and to be sort of demoted from that, I mean, it's almost like when Tatis got sent to the outfield, he was a little pissy about that at first, but then they wise up and they understand that this is better for their long term career and for the team. Well, injuries have a lot to do with why Tatis was moved from short to right field. Uh, Bogert's defensively is good. But not as good as Kim. No. Kim's a gold, gold glove guy. Kim's got more range. Now, so, I, I, I always thought in the very beginning when they got Bogarts that they should have put him at second to start mm-hmm. and Kim at short. But did I had heard a rumor that the Padres promised shortstop for one year to Bogarts. Is that true? Might be. But the, I know they did have the conversation that in the big picture, somewhere down road, there might be a position shift. Sure. Are you okay with that? And he said yes. Good. Next question. Next question. Okay, let's go here to Willie. He says, Padres are a disaster. Be lucky to stay ahead of Colorado. Preller has wrecked the team with insane deals and signings. Well, 
I'm a pro-preller guy because I believe in his philosophy, boots on the ground. He does have a track record of finding players who can contribute. I'm an antagonist of A.J. because of the amount of money he's burned through, the excessively long contracts that he has given that nobody else has given. You know, if, if this doesn't turn out to be a really good season, like chasing the Dodgers and finishing second and doing something in the playoffs, then I think the community is going to start looking at A.J. very differently. That being said... AJ's got a contract that runs through 2006. I don't know that the Padres want, or 2026, I don't know that the Padres want to eat that contract at this point. Also, keep in mind, they've got a truckload of kids at double A and A. One or two of those kids may surface sometime this season. A bunch of them are going to be here next year. So they've kind of reloaded this thing, and he's not going to be allowed, I don't think, going to be allowed to trade any of these kids like he traded the farm system away two different times. So AJ has yet to do it. And A.J.'s done a lot of great things, and A.J.'s made some mistakes. He's yet to do it. Do it means plan in the World Series. Yeah, but, you know, I would never call them a disaster. No. I mean, no. I mean, because you've got a top 10 farm system. You've got many marquee top-name players on defense and in your starting rotation. You've got four really established everyday lineup guys. Exactly. Stars, and obviously the front end of the rotations good if they don't have any injury setbacks. Right. There's a lot of ifs. The team isn't as deep as it used to be. But I'm sorry. Like last year and the previous so-called good years, the Padres just choked. They were underperformed. But the roster has still been good. So let's just hope we regress to the mean and we have an up up season this year. On paper, Willie, on paper, (laughs) this team's pretty good. Has to prove it on the field starting mid-March against the Dodgers in Seoul, South Korea. Okay, moving on. Let's go to Angels. Talk a little Angels baseball. Because I'm watching Angels Stadium from my office and and fitting it uh, cloudy and gloomy. Gotten so bad in Anaheim that Billboard's been popping up with the hashtag, sell the team Artie. Exactly. I mean, scoreboard does not lie. They haven't made the playoffs in a long time. Nine straight losing seasons. And now your superstar goes front and center and says, send a signal to this community. There are still marquee free agents out there. Mike Trout says sign Snell or sign Bellinger. Um, You know, I don't think they have enough of a roster to compete. And, you know, the injury factor has just destroyed Trout and has devastated Rendon. And now Rendon has made these unbelievable comments about it's not a priority. Wow. So they've really got a tough situation. I can't think of outside of the disaster there's the Oakland Athletics and the stadium issue and the cheap owner and the, the bad roster. I can't think of a worse baseball situation right now than what's going on in Anaheim outside of the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, who else would you put in that that questionable bucket? You know, maybe Tampa, but maybe not. Yeah, but Tampa's one and one and one despite the payroll. Their organization's done a great job yeah. in terms of player acquisitions. Yeah, so, you know, I agree with you. I think the Angels are a mess. Let's go to another comment here from John talking about Mike Trout. He says, Mike Trout can't tell anybody what to do when he's a walking disabled list. Except, John, that's kind of a cruel comment. He got hurt playing for your club. He got hurt chasing down fly balls at Angel Stadium with a calf or the hamstring. You know, he got hurt catching a pitch on the inside busting up his hands. Uh, I'm not going to buy that theory that this is all on Mike Trout. This is all on ownership and it's it's bad player decisions, etc. So, you know, the fact that Trout wants to stay there, that's a hell of a thing in terms of who he is and what he stands for. He doesn't want to leave. And, he, you know, he could stand up and say, trade me right now. 
and they'd have to trade him. You know, and he's an East Coast guy from New Jersey. Go play for the Phillies. But no, he wants to stay there. He just wants the ownership to do what the ownership's supposed to do, which is make the right decision on a player personnel acquisition. Well, you said that Bryce Harper is willing to take less money to amass more talent. Do you think the Phillies would trade for Mike Trout? That contract is huge. I mean, his contract, like off the top of my head, it might be $269 million total. Wow. You know, and the Phillies, Phillies are upper echelon in luxury tax already, so I don't think they could, they could make that type of deal right now. Okay, let's move on here. Let's talk to Fig. He says, will any team take a chance on Trevor Bauer? I'm surprised. I really am. I mean, most, most of the everyday quality starting pitching is off the board with the exception of Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. Um, and Bauer went public last week and said, I'm willing to take the minimum, which is, like, I think for him, based on service time, is like 1.5 mil with incentives that could get him up to maybe 8 mil. Um, nobody's nobody's made a move on him. He can pitch now. Is he is he a Cy Young Award winner? No, he's probably your second best or third best starter, but that's trustworthy. He's never had arm problems. He's a jerk. He can pitch. Nobody wants to do it because he's quote toxic talent. I'm surprised, John. Do you think would you take a, a chance on him if the structure the way he wants to structure a contract just yes. to get in the front door? Yes, very much so, yes. I mean, we've seen other clubs have so-called bad boys. Yeah. You know, you talked about the Pistons. We know about the Raiders back in the day. And, you know, it's part of the identity of the team. The fans embrace it. They tend to love their guys for being bad boys. So why is it different in this case? Just because it was a sexual thing. I think more than anything else. Never got charged, never got arrested, but obviously it happened. Something happened. Something sleazy happened. <laughs> and he was at the front and center of it. And there's three other women that have come said, yeah, I was involved in a relationship with him. Guess what? That's a big issue. But can he pitch? Yeah. Is he an affordable purchase now? Yeah. Tainted reputation? Yeah, I guess so too. Tough that's a weird call. Well, you know, the Padres have Tatis, who violated the PED. I mean, we've, we have Machado, who a lot of people think was malicious in the way he took out Dustin Petroia and the way that he what was that one case in first base, he stepped on the guy's foot. So there's a lot of bad guys in baseball. I mean, Bauer is innocent according to the law. Yeah, but boy, what he did was way over the line. No, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just you know. I mean, you're you're a traditional old school guy. Maybe it is over the line for you. Okay, he hasn't <laughs> been signed yet. Next question. Okay, let's talk here a little bit about Kansas City and the guns. We got to go here. Willie says, "Yeah, the House and Senate are on a two week vacation for President's Day." They are a disgrace to all of us. Well, I'm, I'm just so turned off by how the politicians act and nothing gets accomplished. The country is absolutely paralyzed right now. Now, maybe we get to November and that vote is counted and the guy that's caused the divisiveness is gone forever. Maybe that changes things. Hmm. Or maybe those who go to the polls are going to vote out some of the guys in Congress who haven't done anything on behalf of our country because they're acceding to that guy over there, the former president. Maybe things will change November 5th when we're doing the podcast, but right now our country is in just a terrible state of situation. And, you know, guns, border, economics, helping Ukraine, etc. If I were king, 
it'd be very different. But if I were a king, I'd probably get headbutted by the guy from the other party standing in the aisle across from me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy they go on vacation when there's such major crises to try to solve right now. Um, You know, I'm of the opinion here. First of all, this precedes Trump. This goes back decades. But we have inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That means you have the liberty to have a gun. But you also do not have the liberty to start shooting people randomly. So we've got to find a a better spot. You really want to open up this can of worms and talk more (laughs) politics on a sports podcast? Yeah, I know. Let's let's keep moving on here. Okay, let's go to Dick. And he says, hey, if parents – oh, it's another gun comment. If parents knew that the sons had guns, then charge the parents with manslaughter. Well, that's that's what's happened in Michigan. First time ever. That that case with the kid that killed all those kids – at Oxford, Michigan. So it's a, it's a big issue. Uh, I don't know how we're going to solve it. John Riley has a right to have a gun, but there has to be a screening process in place that if there's a past felony, if there's mental health issues, then maybe he does not have a right to have a gun because of all this other stuff involving his life. I have no problem with the sportsman having access to guns, but we need to have the screening process to make sure. And for those who are going to scream at me and say, Second Amendment, I have rights. Well, the kids that got wounded in Kansas City had rights to go celebrate chief football and look what happened to them. So we need to have a better red flag screening process for the people who have a right to have a gun versus the ones who should not be allowed to have access to it. Does that make any sense? It does. I mean, because we all have a right to our own life. Um, but, you know, background checks and all these, it probably wouldn't have solved this situation because these are minors. Most likely the guns were acquired illegally. Black market. Black market. So there is no silver bullet. Sorry to use that as an analogy, <laughs> but there is no single solution. It's a very multidimensional problem. So you don't think I should talk about the other word that we've stayed away from, death penalty? Oh, tell me. Talk it's to a, me. It's another topic on the table for another day. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go from there. Let's go to social media because we've got a lot of people here stacked up with opinions, too, oh, oh, yeah. who want to join us. Okay, let's go to social media here. And uh, hey, let's talk a little Lakers. This is from uh, KM. He says, they were eighth last year. LeBron and AD will quit the load management and squeeze in to make a run. I wish I knew who they were, Jekyll or Hyde. I mean, we saw Rui Hachimura go off for 37 the other night. Where was that? How come that's not part of his consistent makeup? Austin Reeves has had a much better middle of the season than when I thought was a real substandard start for him. So suddenly, based on what we just saw right before the All-Star game, they look pretty dangerous. But what about the rest of the group? Because virtually none of the other free agents that they brought in or traded for have been able to stay healthy or contributed whatsoever. You know, on paper, you see these flashpoints from D'Angelo Russell, Rui, Austin Reeves to go with the big two, and you say, wow. But then you also see them lose to some horrid teams out there say, how is that possible? So I don't know who they are, Jekyll versus Hyde. Yeah, these fans think that the Lakers are just going to flip a switch and go and dominate the league. And I think last year when they were an eight seed and got to the Western Finals, 
that was way above expectation. I don't think you can expect it again this year. No, LeBron and AD carried them. I mean, it was phenomenal how many minutes they were playing, how productive they were. But it's the same old problem. And then if one of them gets dinged, then what do you got? Yeah. Okay, move on. Moving on. Okay, let's talk Chip Kelly, UCLA. This has got a lot of response out here for social media. It says, Gee, Lee, why, why do all the options reflect negatively on Chip? Did you even think to consider what the reasons might be for him leaving? It sure wasn't for the money. I've heard some issues that he may have had with UCLA leadership. What say you? I was told that Chip Kelly's asked for everything, was given everything, and then didn't put a winner on the field. And by the same token, he stayed away from people he was supposed to interact with. I was told the men of Westwood, which runs their collective, was so upset that he would not get involved with them as they're trying to finance UCLA football, much like USC and all the other schools in the country. I was told the men of Westwood went to the athletic department and the president and said, we are going to stop funding UCLA football if this guy remains as head coach, because this guy has not done what this guy is supposed to do and every other marquee head coach in the country is doing with the programs. He lost his way. I don't understand it. And he was he had no relationship with players. He was condescending to the media. He had no interaction with the most influential supporters of the Pac-12 program. And I was told after the men of Westwood made their comments, I believe to the president and the AD, that there was a follow-up meeting with Chip Kelly that said, we will have to make a change. You have a window to go find your next job. And then suddenly, within two days, he, he interviewed with the Raiders and he interviewed uh, with the Washington Commanders. There was a schedule that he was going to interview with the Seahawks about the offensive coordinator's job. And then he took the Ohio State job, maybe for only one year. I don't know. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of layers of problems there. And it's, to me, it's all on him. He's not what he used to be. Well, does the athletic director bear any responsibility here? Did he screw it up for Chip Kelly at all? Obviously, didn't do enough due diligence of who the guy was and how he acted. And they gave him a contract with a $9 million buyout if he got fired. And the <laughs> university's in so much financial trouble. It's terrible. UCLA's got a $36 million athletic department deficit. University's got a $100 million uh, total university uh, deficit. Mm-hmm. Uh, University of Arizona's in the same way. They just they just hired a new athletic director from the SEC today. There's there's some schools that got monster money problems. So I I put this all on Kelly because it's his program and how he acted to me was a turn off and the stuff I've heard from in, influential people is a turn off. So not me just picking on Chip Kelly. It's what Chip Kelly dug this hole for himself and. So he he walked out, and he's. I think he's left a terrible mess behind. Did you have a nine million dollar buyout on your last contract? No, I got a brown envelope <laughs> that said your contract's expiring. We're making a change. Sign here. Mm-hmm. I've I've got a couple brown envelopes in my folder at home. Thank okay. you very much. Let's move on. Let's go. We got more social media here. Let's talk uh, Padres, and this is from uh, G- uh, Galen. He says. The pressure is off with no excitement. I'd say it's a good thing. And I know San Diego sports always needed a critical voice counter to Kevin AC, who will always find a silver lining in hell. But Hacksaw is always hating, never positive. No, that's not true. A year ago this time, going to spring training, we were going crazy mm-hmm. about about the mega stars, the what, Fab Four, I think we called yeah, them. Then yeah. it became the Fraud Four. I'm not being negative for the sake of being negative. I'm dealing with what there is in front of me. 
you know, dealing with what the Dodgers have done or dealing with what the Angels have become. So now we put the topics on the table. Uh, I, I like those guys. I like all the guys that cover the Padres. I, I think they're kind of cool. They all come at it from real different angles. Uh, you know, whether whether it's AC and Jeff Sanders, who does the minor league coverage, which AJ Casaval from MLB.com, or what Dennis Lynn has done. And he's been more critical since he left the UT to go to work for the Athletic. But everybody I know reads what Dennis Lynn does. I just think you need a voice that's also going to present the other side of the story. And you you can sit there. I have no problem, Gallon, with you sitting there and sales pitching me everything AJ's done positively. But I'm going to make sure that you're going to hear my sales pitch about the burn currency, the overpaid money, the contracts he had to put money in to get people to take these guys away. And just the aura of nine years, and all he's given us in nine years is three good months of baseball in 2022 when they chased down the Dodgers. Can you tell me anything else that's been successful under his reins? And I like him, and I think he does a good job with boots on the ground and fine and talent. But at the end of the day, you need to be playing the end of October, and I've spent so much currency, and it hasn't happened yet. So I'm not negative for the sake of being negative. I'm just giving you the rest of the story that most of the media in this town doesn't want to present. Somebody's got to say it, so it's by volunteer. Yeah, well, you have a history of, you know, one man's opinion, and you just kind of let it rip. You call it as you see it, and that's why we love you. Um, but go back to, you know, the Preller and these deals, and you blame them. Now, look at the Clevenger trade. Now, they gave up a lot of guys to Cleveland, um, Quantrill and Naylor and Arias, a bunch of other guys. And then Clevenger comes here and blows out his arm, and he's injured and never— I mean, do you blame Preller for that, too? No, not really, except they, they paid a steep price. And Clevenger had injury history prior to getting here, and he got hurt again. Right. And by the way, he's unsigned. The group of guys that's still out yeah. there. So I think you have to evaluate every deal specifically. When they made the Soto trade, I said, "Wow, this is a megastar. This is an MVP type guy," based on the fact he was a two ninety career hitter in Washington and played pretty good defense. He got here. And he did not produce. And he didn't play the outfield anywhere near the way he played. And his attitude within that clubhouse was kind of standoffish. I said, geez. And then look at the guys they gave up or all the cornerstones of Washington as they start to rebuild. And now two years in, it didn't work. Now Soto's gone. And you can be excited, Galen, about who they got. But I'm telling you, baseball people tell me they didn't get the right guys in the Yankee transaction. Yeah, they got four pitchers. One of them might be really good a year from now, two years from now. And Drew Tharp, Michael King might be a decent starter. But the rest of the pitchers in the deal, they're just guys. And the Yankees didn't want them. So I, I'm just presenting to Padre fan the alternative piece of information aside from the information you got that makes you want to cheerlead. That's what I think. It's funny. There's a lot of people that bitch at you because you're negative. And I, I don't get it. Are these just like kind of soft SoCal sports fans that want everything to be sun, sunny and roses? Well, I guess everything can be beautiful through your lens. But, you know, <laughs> Chargers left. We're going to just say that was great. Great for our community. No. What Spanos did. You got to stand up and you got to publicly say what you believe based on the data that you have sure end of end of 
sermon. Okay. Well, talking about chargers, you know, you may mention Spanos. Let's go here to, to Scorpion. He says, hey, it's a run-first offense that gives Herbert play-action options. So this is about the RPO. Um, Herbert isn't going to hold the teams on his uh, hold the teams on his shoulders anymore, so no more 400-yard, 40-passing attempt games. Harbaugh wants a balanced offense, and that is what he's doing. Herbert will only be better with an improved run game. I agree, because Harbaugh's persona is pound it. Now, who is going to pound it? It's not going to be Eckler. He's a free agent. I assume he'll probably go somewhere else to a throwing offense. They're going to have to find a power running back. And and what complicates it is, you know, Saquon Barkley is going to be effective a free agent tomorrow. Tomorrow is franchise tag day in the NFL. Um, The great running back, Derrick Henry, Tennessee, is going to be a free agent. Those are power backs. But what complicates the Chargers situation is their $55 million over the salary cap. they got to shed players before you can think about bringing a guy in. And Saquon Barkley is going to want $14 million a year. Derrick Henry is probably going to want to stay where he is, which is 8 to $10 million per year. I don't know how the Chargers can afford to make that type of acquisition. But you, if you get a guy who can run the hell out of the ball, like Christian McCaffrey, but that's not cheap. If you can get somebody like that, that makes Herbert much, much better. Well, who was the running back at Michigan? What was his last name? It was Colum, I think it was? Uh, 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 Corum. Corum. BJ, BJ Corum. Does he have a future in the NFL? Awful small. But probably, yeah. As, but might he be the next Eckler? I don't know. Eckler was so unique and, and so different. So uh, I don't Corum, I don't think, is upper echelon. But college football has become a throwing game. I mean, quarterbacks and wide receivers, just at the top of most everybody's draft boards, the running backs are now farther down. But I, I do agree with the theory that if you can play Powerball, that makes that quarterback, and that's a great quarterback that the Chargers have, that makes that quarterback much better. Well, interesting to see, they're going to be, this new GM, is Joe Hortiz, is going to be moving parts around. There are going to be some guys who are going to leave. They're going to have to stockpile assets. They'll have to bring more people in who can play around Justin Herbert. Is J.J. McCarthy an NFL quarterback? I don't see him as being a first-round pick. Maybe maybe the back of the first round. I think he's in the second tier of guys that, you know, obviously, you know, once you get beyond Caleb Williams, uh, Jaden Daniels of LSU has elevated himself. All of a sudden, a lot of people are looking at him as maybe being a top-10 pick. Um, and obviously Drake May at North Carolina. Those are the three top quarterbacks. Then there's the second tier of guys, and I think that's where your guy kind of falls. But I think he's at the back end of the first round, if he's even a first rounder. I'd, I'd think he's more a second or a third rounder. Yeah, I'm hoping okay. to find out. Hey, we hope you have enjoyed our podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're here Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific. Our podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations in San Diego to serve you, and by North County Eye Center, Poway, and Escondido. John, take a deep breath. We'll see what Aztec Utah State basketball looks like Tuesday. We'll talk about all these big stories when we rejoin you on Thursday. Looking forward to it, Lee. And it's going to be a great game tomorrow night, Utah State, San Diego State. And thank you for being part of our podcast, Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.